Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 28 Soft Tones of Violet and Red Part 1 Aziraphale stands on the back deck of Liberty Voile watching the sunrise. He hasn't slept. How could he? With the entirety of his heart in Crowley's hands, waiting for some kind of response. Aziraphale doesn't often flatter himself, he doesn't often deserve it, but he knew when he had handed it to Newt that Crowley would read it the moment he got it. He may not, apparently, know himself, but he knows Crowley well enough to know that. And then, in those dark hours before the dawn, hours far darker than midnight, he'd seen it. Just a quick exchange. How many sentences? Each letter has engraved itself on his heart. Angel. Those letters. Twice. Thrice. He has no idea what time it is now, now that the sun is beginning to inquire at the clouds in the sky. The horizon is notably lighter, and the clouds are working from purple to pink. It feels like he's naked out here, the way the chill of goosebumps keeps pricking at his skin. It isn't the cold, even though the night must have dropped below 60 degrees Fahrenheit. He feels bare. Aziraphale breathes in the morning, exhales the night. He knows something fundamental has changed inside of him. He isn't quite sure what. There's still sand in the eddies and ripples across the surface, and he can't quite see all the way down to the bottom of this sea. But his feet are firm in that sand, even if he doesn't yet know which way they're pointed. Something small and intrinsic in his heart has shattered, sure, but by shattering, it has released a pressure he hadn't even realized had been building up inside him. It is as if he's just watched a toxic gas evaporate from his soul. His metaphors are mixed. His words are clumsy. Aziraphale is terrified and exultantly excited. He stands out on the deck until the sun peeks its head over the line of the horizon. His lower back aches and his toes have caught a chill, but Aziraphale just stands, hands in the pockets of his cardigan, and watches the sun change the clouds and the sky from violet to rose to fire orange to sun gold. He doesn't know what will come of the day. Aziraphale's old enough and wise enough to know that this isn't about figuring out what kind of desperate apology will make Crowley come back to him. That isn't it at all, and it's disrespectful to Crowley's agency and Aziraphale's feelings both. It's about making his apology and answering Crowley's questions and letting Crowley take the lead. And that isn't easy. Aziraphale's used to hiding himself behind layers of propriety and rules and neat little statements. But Crowley deserves both his truth and his respect even if Crowley never wants to see him again. He has the right to ask that of Aziraphale, at least. And while Aziraphale isn't going to accept that without discussion, 
he does know that Crowley could do so. This was so easy when he was pretending. When he was the confident one, asking questions and making statements, helping soothe Crowley's own anxious ways. But that had been Anna Zerafel, who had been quietly ignoring the big picture. He'd thought he could stay in this fantasy world where nothing would question him and he didn't have to consider any of the real issues. He'd gotten real emotions involved, as had Crowley, but it was so easy for him to deny them, honestly. To pretend they weren't there or that they weren't as real as they were. It's all right. Part of feeling naked out here, under the rising sun and the paling sky, is that Haziraphel has been scraped clean. Many of his games, his walls, his facades and reluctances, they were all demolished under Gabriel's grinning gaze and Crowley's betrayed eyes. Aziraphale has nothing left but himself. It's time to find out if that's what Crowley wants. Aziraphale knows there's also a conversation with Warlock that's incredibly overdue. That being said, he cannot have that conversation today. Not when every piece of his mind is going to be focused on how to approach Crowley. But part of what he owes Warlock he can provide and will happily do so. He brews a cup of coffee when he hears Warlock stumbling around upstairs into the bathroom and cuts fresh slices of the baguette they'd had yesterday for an easy version of French toast. Eggs, a splash of milk, cinnamon and allspice and vanilla. And then Aziraphale's dipping the small slices into the mixture and cooking them up in a pan with melted butter to soothe the way. The hell is this? Warlock manages to get out through sleepy lips that then attach themselves to the rim of the coffee mug and make horrific noises as Warlock slurps down a meaningful portion. Breakfast, my dear, Aziraphale says idly, flipping another four in the pan. I felt like something special this morning, is all. Warlock grunts, and Aziraphale hears a sound as if he's trying to inhale the rest of the coffee. Then there's the obvious noise as he peels a banana, followed by Warlock asking with half of his mouth full, So, are you out of your slump then? Aziraphale bristles initially, then reminds himself that he's moving forwards out of this rather than stalling until everyone pretends it didn't happen. Somewhat, he tells Warlock, and if it's still rather stiff, he feels he's earned a bit of that. I've at least decided, he manages to say while he flips the small toasts onto a plate and sets it on the table to start for new ones. That I can stop wallowing now and do something. Ah, says Warlock, grabbing three off the plate and immediately drowning them in the syrup Aziraphale already heated and set out. Proper period of penance done and gone then. There are so many ways Aziraphale could respond to that, and in the end he just says, somewhat, quite. He sits down once there are at least 15 pieces available on the serving plate. Aziraphale chooses blackberry jam for one, powdered sugar for another, syrup for a third, 
He isn't the world's fanciest cook, but he knows his staples. And he's certainly going to thoroughly enjoy them, now that his entire future has blossomed into possibilities like a winding vine. I'm going to need the car today, he tells Warlock, blurting it out too quickly when it's supposed to sound assured and confident. I'm hoping your friends can take you anywhere you were intending to go, but I also... I am... Well... He picks up his teacup and drinks. He trusts Warlock more than most other people in this world, but he still has to reassure himself for a moment before saying it. I've something for you to read. Aziraphale tells his French toast. He can almost feel Warlock's reaction. The dear boy freezes in his seat, and then his shoulders sink somewhat, as if releasing tension. Then he sits up straighter, as if realizing this is a more serious thing than he thought. Yes? Warlock asks, and those dark, clever eyes are tracking Aziraphale's every movement and wince. Yes, my dear, Aziraphale says gently. I've the first few bits of a book for you to read. Even now, he's only giving Warlock half of what he gave Crowley. Aziraphale had cut it off at the point where his meandering words had become increasingly and predominantly about Crowley in some way. That story, he knows, may still not be his to tell. But the first few chapters are safe enough. It's only Warlock, and Warlock should know. Warlock needs to read it all. The increasing agitation, the level of discomfort as Aziraphale tried more and more to fit into FTA's rigid structure. The way the landscape and the mouthfeel of the terroir out here had struck him blind. The way these flavors and tastes flapped their edges at him like a map he couldn't read. The enchantment of the soil and the taste the way the old vines and golden landscape spoke to him filled in places Aziraphale had never realized were wanting. Warlock needs to see this. Warlock deserves to know at this point. Warlock has only ever been an ally, and Aziraphale owes him far more than he has offered. He retrieves the folder from where it has been sitting on top of the microwave and slides it across the table to sit by Warlock's elbow. This is what I've really been writing, Aziraphale tells him. And I'm looking for your honest opinion on it, Warlock. Warlock's eyes widen and then narrow. Warlock's far smarter than anyone gives him credit for, Aziraphale knows. He's had that full intellect turned on him a number of times. As, he says, what's going on? There are so many things Aziraphale wants to say. He gathers himself up, swallows his mouthful of French toast and says, I've been writing two books this whole time. It hits the silence between them like an egg against a garage. There's a bit of quiet where they're both watching gravity pull things down and then Warlock sighs. It's a sigh that's quite a bit older than he is aggravated and exhausted and infinitely fond. 
<sighs> of course you were. I wasn't at all sure about the first book, Aziraphale tells him, like a confessional. The writing was good quality, but it was jagged stream of consciousness, nothing that had a plotline or a purpose. It's not that I thought it was bad, I just... <sighs> Even the most beautiful words do not a coherent novel make. Warlock snorts. <laughs> I'm fairly sure you're underestimating your own underestimation, he tells Aziraphale. But all right. So what? You started over? Aziraphale straightens his shoulders. I started a second attempt in the style of my blog, if you must know. It was intended to be much closer to my... Source material. Assuming the first attempt proved too... I don't know, too much. To be published, I would at least come out of the trip with something. Warlock makes a noise around a mouthful of French toast that Aziraphale cannot decipher. Right, he starts and Aziraphale can hear the weight of the hundreds of conversations Warlock has tried to start about this. Does that mean we're finally going to untangle all of this? Aziraphale lifts a hand, palm out, and rubs his other hand down his face. Warlock stills. There's a gentle moment of pause between them. Eventually, Aziraphale sighs. Huh. Yes, I assume so, he admits, looking down at the table. But not... not right now. He gestures at the folder at Warlock's elbow. I need you to read this first, but also I'm... He trails off, swallows. Drinks another sip of his tea. I'm speaking with Crowley tonight, he says eventually. I'm sure you can appreciate the delicacy. God, Warlock groans. As fuck. He buries his face in his hands, fingers tightening into his hair. Warlock's hair is always a mess when he wakes up, a bundle of half-kinked curls sticking out from his scarf. I can't help but feel a bit responsible here, you know? No! Aziraphale's on his feet before he even realizes how sharply that came out. Warlock looks surprised, and Aziraphale finds himself throwing out words in response. None of this is your fault, he says, almost angrily. You've done nothing but ask me for honesty and integrity, and I'm the one who has continued to say everything is all right, as if those words are some kind of spell making it true. He softens his voice. My dear boy... I'm the one who has messed things up so thoroughly. Ass. Warlock sighs. Now he's pinching the bridge of his nose, rubbing a palm down his face. Aziraphale sits back down. Waits. Eventually, Warlock looks up and gives Aziraphale a crooked grin. We both kind of messed this one up, didn't we? Aziraphale, to his surprise, laughs. <laughs> I'd say it more in terms of neither of us quite expected this. Warlock snorts, but his smile is fond. <laughs> of course you would, he says. Silence falls again. 
It isn't a bad silence. He and Warlock have been together through too much for it to be awkward. Aziraphale wants to be able to say more, but he knows his mind and his heart are going to be locked on the issue of Crowley today. He'll figure out the rest of it once that bridge is patched. And what if Crowley says, no, that's enough? What if he looks at the futility, the distance between them, and the way Aziraphale acted and says, sorry, I can't? Aziraphale feels his heart clench at it. He reminds himself that it's within Crowley's rights to do so. I'm here for you, Warlock says finally, and Aziraphale has to smile. Aziraphale sits in the driver's seat of this ridiculous luxury SUV, staring at the entryway into the Ecdysis tasting room. He's done something awful with the LED lights inside. He'd only wanted to turn them off, but they're now cycling through some obnoxious rainbow to a beat he can't detect. It would be funny if he weren't filled with such... What would the word even be? Panic seems too shallow. Fear too hopeless. For all that he's a writer, Aziraphale can't describe the feeling in his chest. All he needs to do is get out of the car. But he can't decide whether to walk through the tasting room or directly back to Crowley's house. Crowley's text had said, My place, 7pm, but Azira felt so unsure of everything right now that he doesn't know where Crowley would be waiting for him. It's finally cowardice that decides it for him. Aziraphale isn't sure he can deal with Warlock, Crowley, and the Ecdysi staff all in one day. Maybe that isn't cowardice. Maybe it's just a simple conservation of emotional energy, but it feels like what Aziraphale has to do. Crowley is the priority. The sun isn't quite set. It hovers low on the horizon, sending slanted rays of gold through the vineyard, casting everything in a warm haze. Aziraphale stops at the end of the parking lot and looks off into it for a few breaths. It strikes his heart, again, just how beautiful it is here in his eyes. The way his chest clenches like an awe-filled sigh, the sort of feeling that makes you vaguely want to cry, but you don't know why. From there, it's a few steps to Crowley's door. Aziraphale takes a moment and thinks this is maybe the bravest thing he has ever done, but he doesn't feel brave. He's afraid. He's afraid of hurt, yes, but he's also afraid this is the end of a thing that could have been as beautiful as the countryside. He knocks. Crowley answers. Crowley looks... tired. He looks stiff, almost awkward, in a way Aziraphale's never seen him be. Graceful gestures devolved into jerky movements as he backs out of the way and waves Aziraphale inside. He looks uncomfortable. And oh, it hits Aziraphale all over again just how beautiful Crowley is as well, like a punch to the lungs. 
he has his hair down, a brilliant tangle of soft waves, and his sunglasses on. He's wearing a simple black tee and grey denims. He's barefoot. Aziraphale wants to worship him from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. He swallows. They look at each other for a long minute or two, and then Crowley chuckles, a sad, tight sound. <laughs> Fuck, he says. I missed you. Oh, says Aziraphale. He feels like his eyes are devouring Crowley. Is it appropriate to say no? Aziraphale wants honesty, not appropriate conversation, and Crowley deserves that. And I you, darling. He wants to reach in, embrace Crowley, gather him up in his arms and hold him until they can both breathe again. Aziraphale doesn't, though. He isn't sure he has the... the right? Either way, it's Crowley's move. Everything is now in Crowley's hands. Crowley makes an awkward, aborted gesture with his hands and then heads to the sofa. Aziraphale, following, sees a bottle of the Magnificat silver two filled glasses resting on the table. Crowley, watching as Aziraphale settles on the other side of the couch, catches his curious glance and makes another small, sad, happy laugh noise. <laughs> it's our kind of thing, isn't it? The first glass of wine Crowley poured for him. The first conversation they had. Aziraphale wonders whether he's been smitten from the beginning. It's highly possible. He wouldn't put anything past his poor confused heart the way he's had it locked and chained and hidden for so long. Cheers, he says simply, lifting his glass. They clink. As he takes a sip, the flavor profile spreads across his tongue. Jasmine and peaches and that dominant sharp green apple flavor. There's something ironic there. Crowley offering him apples. He'd been gone from the first taste. Crowley, he says, and he's done thinking about it. He's done trying to perfect the words. I am so very terribly sorry. Crowley watches him for a minute. Azira felt so used to seeing his eyes at this point that the sunglasses are stark, startling. He can't blame Crowley, though. Crowley's used to using them as armor, as a mask. Aziraphale knows he's lost the right to that vulnerability. Crowley sighs. <sighs> I know, Angel. I do. I should never have said that, Aziraphale tells him. What a horrible thing to say about your... The words fall short. Partner, he says eventually, but no single word can encompass the way Crowley makes him feel. Crowley shifts on the couch like he's trying to settle in. He has his feet up on the cushion, legs tucked beneath him. His feet bear thin brushstrokes of curling red hair. It isn't, he starts, 
and then sighs, exasperated, as if his tongue is in knots. Uh, you know, I get why you said it. I shouldn't have, Aziraphale says, and Crowley's mouth makes an uncomfortable twist. No, see, that's fine. Crowley shifts again, sitting up straighter. Aziraphale, you told me back when we first met that your boss doesn't like when his employees make personal connections to the places they're writing about. There's a small, unhappy frown on his face, but his voice sounds raw and honest. That's not what I'm... That's not what hurt. Tell me, Aziraphale says. Make me understand. Let me never again do this to you. It's not what you said, Crowley tells him and sets his wine glass down on the table so that he can clench his hands together. He looks down at the tangled fingers. I get that, really I do. I have no problem lying to your boss. I just don't get why you... why you did it that way. I panicked, Aziraphale says. It isn't an excuse at all, but I panicked and I just didn't... think. Crowley pushes his glasses up into his hair to rub at his eyes. Aziraphale gets a brief glimpse before Crowley lowers the sunglasses again. I mean, you could have let me know. A signal, hell, a wink across the kitchen to tell me to back you up. Fuck, Aziraphale, you could have woken me up and just asked me not to move. I mean, did you think... And here, Crowley's voice tangles in his throat. Did you think I wasn't going to have your back? Did you think I wouldn't listen? Aziraphale feels like his chest is being crushed. I didn't think, he says, and his voice in his own ears is so mournful. I just... I picked up the phone and panicked. All I could think about was keeping Gabriel happy so that he didn't... so that he didn't get mad. He finishes and feels something inside of his own head unfurl like a blossom on a grapevine. Crowley's mouth is set in a line and Aziraphale hurries on. And of course... To you, it looked like I took Gabriel's side. Oh, Crowley. Crowley shakes his head, letting some of his hair fall in front of his face. It feels like he's hiding. It isn't even about sides, Angel, Crowley says. It was just... He swallows. I just wish you had said something first. It was pretty awful to wake up to. His voice isn't even accusing. It's just hurt. Aziraphale looks down into his glass of Magnificat, watching it swirl. He remembers that night, the soft sweetness of Crowley's mouth, the press of all that skin into his, their hands, their hips. He remembers how lost they'd been in each other, too uncoordinated to do anything but press together in the most basic of ways. Lost in their want, Drunk on their fingertips, it had been incandescent. 
he'd thought his morning ruined by Gabriel's presence. Crowley's had been shattered. He lets the feeling swirl in his chest, watching the pale gold of the Chardonnay spin in his glass. He lets it go, until the thoughts begin to form words. Crowley deserves that, something more constructive than Raphael's gut-burst apologies. I've been struggling with this job ever since I came here. Aziraphale admits. He glances up. The room is bathed in the thick gold of the sun hitting the horizon. It feels dark somehow. I've been trying so hard to be what they want that I'm not sure anymore what... what I want. He breathes it out, a confession that sits in the air between them, hovering. Crowley nods, waiting for him to continue. Aziraphale takes another sip. Peaches and grapefruit and sharp tart apples slide over his tongue, a reminder of where he is, who he's talking to who he is for some value of Aziraphale. A man who finds joy in the expression of these flavors across his tongue. I thought that I could simply follow their instructions and that they obviously knew what success was and that this would be easy. He can hear the frustration in his own voice. Nothing about this has been easy. This place is... I don't even know the words to use, Crowley. This place is astounding. It doesn't conform to what they want. Aziraphale pauses, holds the words in his mouth. I might not conform to what they want. Do you want to? Crowley asks gently. I did, Aziraphale says, and then pauses. I thought I did. I really thought I did. I thought this was my big chance to finally make it, you know. And when I came out here, I was inspired. I mean, well, <laughs> you've seen it. He chuckles and tucks his head. But that's a book no one wanted. Crowley scoffs. The sound is still small, sad, but it sounds a little more like Crowley. <laughs> it's good, Angel, he says. It's really good. I'm not much of a reader, but even I can tell. Well, Aziraphale says, sighing. It isn't good enough for Gabriel. Not much of anything I do is good enough for Gabriel. At this, Crowley jerks a little, as if cutting off a gesture. He sits up and, to Aziraphale's surprise, takes off his sunglasses. And that's the problem, isn't it? Crowley says. It isn't a question. Aziraphale literally has to catch his breath at the sight of Crowley's beloved face. His eyes are a bit red, like he's been rubbing at them, but they're still so beautiful. The way he looks at Aziraphale makes him want to cry all over again. He sighs. <sighs> That's a lot of it. But I'm not even sure about this work anymore. Wine country has changed the way I write. 
I found something new. Crowley bites at his lower lip. So, what are you going to do? His voice is so soft, low. It isn't emotionless. It's still raw, but it's more like. Aziraphale recognizes it finally. Crowley's trying very, very hard not to influence the decision. Except that Aziraphale wants him to. Aziraphale wants to include Crowley in this. Is that too much to ask? He isn't even sure. He sighs and has a sip of his wine. I don't know, my dear. I've been thinking about it, but to be frank, he shrugs, glancing over at Crowley through lowered eyelids. You were my first priority. Crowley pauses, and Aziraphale watches as a flush appears high against his cheekbones. I mean, um, thanks, I guess. It's soft, almost. Aziraphale doesn't want to say tender, so he thinks it instead. I just. Now Crowley ducks his head again and hides his eyes behind the dripping curls of his hair. Aziraphale, how are we going to figure this out if you don't know what you're doing? And that catches Aziraphale's breath in his throat like ice. How do you mean? Crowley looks out at him from behind the curtain of his hair. It's lovely, those stone bright eyes peeking through curls lit now with the fire of the California sunset. Angel, I've never had cause to doubt you or question anything. Or, I mean, no more than you normally do when you're. Well, Crowley swallows loudly, then follows it with a sip of the Chardonnay. You know. Explain, Aziraphale asks, and he means it. But there's also the tiniest note of flirting inside. Crowley must hear it. Because he snorts and tugs his hair out of his face. You know, when you're、uh, getting to know someone, you're never sure where you are, but it's in a good way. You're like moving the same way. Yes, Aziraphale says gently, because if Crowley's saying this now. What does he think happened? I know. Crowley spasms a bit, jerking an arm out to sip his wine. I never expected you to be like that, he says very softly. Aziraphale sighs. Well, it's clear now that Gabriel brings out the worst in me. He says rather more irritably than he'd meant. But darling, it isn't like I'd ever ask you to choose between me or your winery now. Crowley's head snaps up sharp, and his eyes narrow. Don't be cruel, Aziraphale. He snaps. No one's asking you to choose one or the other. Like this is life or death. Christ, fuck! He drags his hands through his hair, pushing it away from his face in a gesture somewhat like warlocks this morning. Don't be this obtuse. 
No one is drawing that line except you. The tone bites through Aziraphale's skin, and he freezes, his wine glass halfway to his mouth. What the... It's always been between his jobs and... And the only phrase Aziraphale can think is his happiness, and that just wrenches his heart another quarter turn out of his chest. No, no, this is... This is a thing that... Oh, well, bother. He's staring into the wine glass, but isn't sure he's really seeing it. Maybe Crowley's right. Maybe he's been so caught up in the rhetoric of FTA that he's thinking too hard about this. If Crowley's really willing to have his back, to be on his side, their own side, he maybe doesn't have to give up everything. But there's still that bit of his mind that's peeled open, bleeding raw, petals sprawling to reveal a sensitive truth Aziraphale hasn't looked at. Probably doesn't want to look at. He will, of course. He's past the point of no return, but he hasn't had time to read what's written there. You're saying that I could... Aziraphale's voice trails off. He couldn't speak if he wanted to now. Fuck, says Crowley. He stands abruptly, pacing across the room. Angel, Aziraphale, let me be clear as goddamn crystal. He turns, although his eyes are flicking wildly around Aziraphale's face. If you told me you were in, I guess, you were here with... Fuck. Shit. Fuck shit. Crowley turns away, as if wrestling his tongue under control. His hands scrub over his face, twice. If you and I were a thing, and I... We... And we knew it, Angel. Look, you could have whatever you wanted, and I would bend over backwards to get it for you. But this... Crowley subsides. It's like the withdrawal of a bright flame. The sun finally setting over the horizon of the Russian River Valley. That's the first time I felt alone with you, he says. It's soft, and it's final. Aziraphale doesn't have words in his mouth. It feels empty, gaping, like it's full of his heart's blood, and that isn't enough. He wasn't, hadn't, well... I want to fix this, he tells Crowley. Crowley laughs, something closer to his full laugh than any other noise he's made today. <laughs> I do too, he says, urgent. I do too, he says, urgent, wanting. Oh, angel. His palms are suddenly on Aziraphale's face, trembling slightly. His fingers tuck into Aziraphale's curls. Aziraphale feels his eyes close as Crowley's thumbs trace the lines of his cheekbones. Angel, God, fuck, this isn't a no or a stop. I just... Crowley's voice is shaking too, a slight quaver to it that slices the pieces of Aziraphale's heart all apart. 
he reaches up to wrap his fingers around Crowley's, bringing them down from his cheeks so that he can hold them in his lap. Tell me what you need, darling, he says. I won't lie. I'm not going to make you false promises. But tell me what you need to know. His words just flow over them and Crowley tips forward until his forehead is resting against Aziraphale's shoulder, his breath warming Aziraphale's collarbone. I need... Crowley breathes into his neck, and it's so brutally honest. More than being naked, more than the two of them with their hands down each other's pants in the kitchen of the house that isn't Aziraphale's. Crowley pulls back and looks Aziraphale in the eye. I need to know what piece of the future you're willing to give me, he says and shudders as he says it. Which Probably means you need to figure out your future first, then come tell me what you can do and... Crowley swallows, and Aziraphale shakes himself as Crowley presses a trembling but gentle kiss to the line of Aziraphale's jaw. And then we figure out what we can be, Crowley whispers, and Aziraphale bows his head to rest against Crowley and breathes deep.